Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we have come into your presence, not to hear the words of man or man's philosophy, not to be impressed with people. Father, we've come because we know in you alone there is the words of life and truth. In you alone we can find the light to navigate these confusing times. In you alone we can find the strength and the courage and that in, in you there alone there is hope. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would use your word to enliven, encourage, strengthen, discipline, uh, disciple us, Lord, that we would be formed into the image of your Son, that we could together work together and support one another and become the body of Christ that would be healthy in accomplishing your will in this place and time. Father, we know that without you we are but an empty shell. And so, Father, we pray for your powerful work, for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn together to the second book of the Bible, to Exodus, the third chapter, Exodus chapter 2, chapter 3. And then we'll, while we're finding that, I'll give a, a little bit of context. Um, this is uh, the, Moses, as you know, was spared uh, as the people of Israel are now in captivity under a very cruel dictatorship, trying to kill off all the male children. And he was spared. He had the tremendous privilege of being raised in the household of Pharaoh as Pharaoh's own uh, grandson. And then he attempted to uh, address the injustice as he went out and he saw and he identified with the people of God, with his own people. He attempted to address that injustice in his own strength and was exposed uh, and had to flee for his life. And uh, that was his first 40 years. His next 40 years he has spent now in the desert as a shepherd. And that's where we find him at the beginning of this chapter. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. 
And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and unto and a large and unto land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, thou shalt serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you, this is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done unto you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall come to pass that when you go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and shall put them on, upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. I've read the entire chapter. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? And God responded, Certainly I will be with you. And God said, I am that I am. This past week as I've uh, had to travel into work every day, there were some changes and uh, was able to hear the word of God every day as I drove in. Heard the broad sweep through Genesis and to the beginning of Exodus of the, 
of God's working with Abraham, uh, an imperfect man who was afraid of being killed for the beauty of his wife, but who was faithful, who, who trusted God and obeyed God when it was incredibly against the odds. And Don, through his son, through Jacob, another imperfect person who seemed to accomplish a lot through deceptive means, but, but who wrestled with God and wanted God's blessing above all things. And on to Joseph, who, who chose to trust God despite betrayal after betrayal. For doing the right things, he sunk to slave and then imprisoned and yet became the redemption of all the, the living in that area of the world. And now we come to Moses. And it just struck me as I was listening to this passage how Moses' question is, who am I? And God's answer is, I am that I am. Moses' question was, about his own identity and his own sufficiency. Who am I that I should bring forth the children of Israel? And God's answer is, I am. It's not about your identity. It's not about your power. It's about the unchanging God who is. And that I will go with thee. And I will bring my people out. And so your true identity is that you are my people. And I thought there was something truly profound about man's search for his identity independent of God and how that keeps coming up short in how the true answer is not in our identity. The answer to our struggles, our anxieties, our insecurities is not in being sufficient in being enough, in having enough. It's in being His and in His powerful, unchanging, ever-present identity. See, think about it. Insecurity. Insecurity that we see in so many varied forms Manifested, whether it's in self-destructive behavior or, or uh, even through overcompensation. There's all kinds of ways that insecurity shows up that looks even opposite. From, from the braggart to the, you know, uh, the person who's too shy to show their face. But insecurity is from facing life armed with your own identity. And then you ask, who am I that I should? See, Moses was, felt like a failure because he tried. He wanted to address the injustice of his world. It seems to be something that the young people this current generation identify with as social justice workers. They see injustice that cries out to be dealt with. And so Moses saw the injustice of how the Egyptians were taking advantage of these innocent people, treating them unfairly, beating them. And he stepped in in his own strength. He killed the Egyptian. 
looked both ways, buried him in the sand, thought he had solved the problem. But things that we bury in the sand just don't stay buried, do they? And the next day, he was exposed as he even tried to solve a dispute between his own brethren and try to appeal to the fact that, you know, your brothers, you know, you have rights, you should respect that. And they manipulate it and say, yeah, you know, I know who you are. You're a murderer. You have no right to judge. Who made you a judge? And so he spent the next 40 years feeling like a failure, feeling like even though he had all the position and power and the training and every advantage, if there ever was someone who could, who could relieve the oppression, he was the inside man. And yet God had to allow him to fail and to flounder till he found that it wasn't about I am, till he could come and say, who am I? Because sometimes we aren't there yet. Sometimes think, we think we can. We think we are. And we don't come to the point of humility of saying, who am I that I should? We haven't faced that failure yet. I think this lesson has implications for all of us. For those who do not yet know the I am, who do not yet know the assurance of being called my people, what choice do we have but our own sufficiency? And this is a choice that culture has made. Culture has made the choice hundreds of years ago to, to go from authority of God, which clearly was abused by uh, the religions of the day and is still, you know, the arguments being used against Christianity. What about the Inquisition? What about the Crusades? And they chose to go to man's reason. We can figure it out ourselves. And then that came up empty. It was insufficient and failed. And now, having given up on even our own reason, people are just struggling for power, raw power, through words that no longer have meaning. That's the postmodern era we, era we live in. And so the politics of the day are identity politics. But the problem is there's no coherent common identity. And so identity politics it was something that was kind of invented with the, the black civil rights movement where it was kind of those who were oppressed could unite and among their common victimhood and, and, and appeal to the conscience of a, a nominally Christian majority to see that there was wrong what they're doing. And with even through nonviolent means would be able to uh, to influence. And while that was a legitimate and probably a healthy correction in society, its success was taken up by many others who, who through their identity of identifying with a 
oppressed minority thought we should do the same for women's rights and for um, you know those who were homosexual and those who felt in any way marginalized and slighted and, and at a disadvantage in society. And so we start to get a splintered society where everyone is identifying with my ethnic or my you know, sexual orientation or my, my socioeconomic bracket. And now we have even those who are you know, the, the rich Americans feeling like they're the victims and have to put up the protectionist walls. Identity of man's identity ends up with a splintering, a disintegration, where everyone is playing the victim card and using words to make everyone else be coerced. And, and it is so contradictory, self-contradictory. You know, we, we talked about, you know, the homosexuality where, you know, when I was in the 90s, you know, the big argument is like, you know, this is, an this is who I am. Uh, you can't deny that. Uh, I was born this way, and therefore we need to enshrine, and we've changed the laws of the land, we need to enshrine the protection of my rights you know, as having this orientation right in the, in the code of human rights, along with gender and, and uh, you know, race and so on, that, that you cannot discriminate me on the basis of this. But now that that has been enshrined, all of a sudden we're, there's gender fluidity where, you know, I feel like this today, I feel like that tomorrow. It's, I guess, not in my DNA. I guess it's not something fixed and inarguable. It's, it's something that about my feelings for the day. And somehow we don't see that this kind of undermined their whole argument for enshrining this as a human right when it's about how I feel today. It's so contradictory because there's no logical sense to it. Uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote about not just this issue, but the whole modern skeptic, how inconsistent this idea of I need to be free I need to be free from being assigned roles and responsibilities and the order of creation. I need to be free to pursue how I feel and what I think is right. He wrote, but the new rebel is a skeptic and will not entirely trust anything. He has no loyalty, therefore he can never be really a revolutionist. And the fact that he doubts everything really gets in his way when he wants to denounce anything. For all denunciation implies a moral doctrine of some kind, some sort of a standard. And the modern revolutionist doubts not only the institution he denounces, but the doctrine by which he denounces it, because he rejects all standards. As a politician, he will cry out that war is a waste of life, and then, as a philosopher, that all life is a waste of time. A Russian pessimist will denounce a policeman for killing a peasant, and then prove by the highest philosophical principles that the peasant ought to have killed himself. The man of this higher learning school goes first to a political meeting where he complains that savages are treated as if they were beasts, and then he takes his hat and umbrella and goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that they practically are beasts. In short, the modern revolutionist, being an infinite skeptic, is always engaged in undermining his own minds. In his book on politics, he attacks men for trampling on morality. In his book on ethics, he attacks morality for trampling on men. Therefore, the modern man in revolt has become practically useless for all purposes of revolt, 
by rebelling against everything, he has lost his right to rebel against anything. Now, that was fast and perhaps complicated, but the point of it was that man wants freedom, and so they don't want to have a standard to be accountable to. But then that gives them nothing to argue with because whenever you say something else is wrong, you're saying it's wrong according to some standard, but they don't agree to any standard because there is no transcendent I am to integrate the whole. And so we collapse into warring, squabbling tribes that have nothing that we can truly agree on because we don't agree to anything above how I feel today. When it's about I am and how I feel and we cut ourselves loose from the maker, the transcendent one, the I am that I am, the self-existent one who is not contingent, then we are truly adrift and inconsistent. And the answer and the result is insecurity. Multiplied. I mean, my heart really aches and goes out to the culture of this world, to the people of this world who are so confused who are hurting, who are committing suicide at a rate unprecedented because they don't know what makes them valuable, what makes them, what anything good or right or wholesome. Wednesday night after church, I'm driving home and CBC had something about sexuality and it was just like so confused the modern view is just so confused everything is about power I guess except for sex no everything is about sex except for sex which is about power like everything is reduced to a mere power play and all that is beautiful and sacred and good that is God has created to be wholesome and beautiful in its right context, we reject those rules because we don't want to be restricted by context, and we're reduced to, 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 to squabbling, and there's no love for its own sake, no beauty for its own sake, nothing that lifts us up from pure animal desire. My friend, I hope you can see the confusion that God is calling you, which is truly the Egypt, which is truly the taskmaster. You may not see it. You may say, I don't want God. I'd rather choose to identify with today's culture. But look at the whip. Look at the results of that whip. Look at the slavery that it produces. I beg you, because the God who made you, the I am, wants to call you to leave Egypt. Though it may appear you are leaving the flesh pots for the desert, he is promising you a promised land that flows with milk and honey. But you have to believe 
and his overcoming power. You may have felt like, well, I tried that, been there, done that, doesn't work for me. I know I've tried to be good and it's just not possible. You know, these, these standards, they're, 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 they're theory, unlivable. That's because you aren't counting on the next verse. When Moses says, I am, who am I that I should? God's answer is, my, uh, certainly I will be with you. You can't do it on your own. It may, hopefully it doesn't take you 80 years to figure that out. Hopefully it doesn't take you 80 years to come in humility and take the shoes off your feet to the holy ground and kneel down and trust in the self-sufficient I am that I am. And not rest on your own fragile identity that was never going to be good enough and rest on God's identity, on His unshakable in on his calling you to be his, his daughter, his son. My dear brother and sister, we need to believe those truths. The lost of this world are looking for a light, for something transcendent, something that rises above the pure power struggle and satisfying of ego and animal desires to lift them to something higher. Moses should have known. Moses should have known that this is the God, but Moses is struggling here. He's saying, they're not going to believe me. I'm not strong enough. And God shows him. And if we keep going with the next chapter, you can start to see this conversation didn't end here. Even though God gives him a, a calling, he, give, he, he promises him his presence. He lays out what's going to happen. It's not going to be smooth. Yes, you're going to go. You're going to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to say no, but then I'm going to step in. I'm going to show some dramatic power, and then finally he's going to let you go. Yeah, sure, it's not going to be simple, but in the end, you will come out, and you'll come to this very mountain, and you will worship God here. I promise you that. But rather than trusting in those promises of God, trusting that God's going to be present in the problems, in the struggles that he has ahead of him, he says, I, 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 I don't think I can do this. Like, Give me more. The, the word that I am that I am was not sufficient. He needed signs and wonders. And so the rod was thrown down, became a snake, and picked up again, turned back into a rod. The hand went in and became leprous, an incurable disease that no one even to this day has the power to reverse. He sticks it back in his tunic, pulls it out. It's healed. This is power. Still not enough. You know, you're going to be able to take water from the river, pour it out, it's going to become blood. And, you know, the sight of everyone, you know, they're, they're, you have this, clearly there is supernatural power that is present here. And Moses says, okay, God, please send someone else. 
by whoever you want. Send someone else. I'm not good at talking. I've got, you know, I wasn't good at talking before this conversation, and even now I'm stuttering. I'm just, you know, I'm not qualified. Send by the hand of whom you will. Just don't send me. And God gets angry. God gets really frustrated. Last Sunday, we heard about Jesus getting frustrated. And sometimes we're like, like, come on, the disciples are in a boat. It's sinking. It's taking on water. It's going down. And aren't they supposed to panic? You know, Jesus, why are you frustrated with these disciples when they're panicking, when their boat's sinking? Like, isn't that, like, natural? But they weren't really believing that the man sleeping at the bottom of the boat was the Son of God, the one who they had seen uh, turn five loaves and fishes and feed 5,000, who they had seen heal the blind and the leper and, and, and... who they knew had the words of life, who they knew was the Son of God, who they confessed was the Son of God. Somehow, what I believe on Sunday morning in the synagogue, what's preached, I I acknowledge in my spirit, in my head, this is true. But when, when it comes to the reality of facing things that I think are bigger and scarier than me that I don't have control over, Send someone else. Do I frustrate the grace of God? Does God shake his head in sadness as he sees how many times? What do you have to see, Edmund? You've seen God take the person in your life who who you knew was the the worst kid in your neighborhood and and turn him around and make him your child. You've seen God change people in ways that's not possible but by the hand of God. You've seen God change you and you know how hard you tried. You knew that it was impossible for you to be good. You've Proven it through years of, of failure and, and, and effort, wasted effort. Now, why won't you believe me about your sinking boat? Or about my call to send you to slaves who need to be freed? Who slaves who I want to be my people, who I want to redeem from the taskmaster and the whip. And I want to bring into the promised land. Send someone else. Well, it's not about you. Maybe you're too focused on this who am I question. Maybe you're too focused on what you can or can't do. After all, God delights in using weak vessels. Because then it's clear where the power came from. Maybe that's why I'm going to pick someone who can't talk to talk his way out of Egypt, 
Because it won't be about his silver tongue. It'll be about God's power alone. And maybe I want to use you to reach the hurting people that you have contact with. Not because you're so great and so capable and so gifted, but because I am that I am will be present with you. And that his power is sufficient to use even me and even you. And so he sends you into a hurting world to invite them to leave Egypt and to know the presence of I am. To leave an identity of insecurity and failure to choose an identity of being my people. My child. As we move to the New Testament, as we move forward from law to grace, as we move forward from the intimacy of a nation called by God's name into an individual with the Holy Spirit residing on the inside, having intimate access to the very throne room of God, having the Holy Spirit saying, Abba, Father, within you. As we move infinitely higher and are raised into heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The privilege is higher. The commission is greater. Jesus asked us to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's the last thing he asked us to do. Because they are so lost. And you have been found. You have been saved. Let us not say to God, who am I to speak to my neighbor? Who am I? I can't. I'm of unclean lips and I falter. But let us say, send me. I trust in your sufficiency alone, in your identity. My identity is not in me, but rests in being the child of I am that I am. To the question, who am I? God answers, I am that I am, is present with you and calls you by name. My dear friend, you may have heard that call this morning. You may have recognized that in the rebellion of man and rejecting all categories, all signposts, in the kite desiring to be free and cutting off its own kite string, we've lost our bearings. And we are reaping what we are sowing, reaping the whirlwind, as the psalmist says, the chaos and confusion is not accidental. 
It's a logical consequence of the rejection of God and his standards. And yet you say, those standards are unattainable. You're right. Who am I to live up to God's standards? Who am I myself to walk out of the power of Egypt? God's answer wasn't in chain, in, in, he did not answer Moses and said, buck up, you can do it. Try a little harder, I believe in you. God's answer was, my presence will go with you. I am that I am, and I will deliver my people. Identify as his child. Answer his call. Endure, as Hebrews 11 says, as seeing him who is invisible. Leave the relative, the, the known of Egypt with what you know is painful and what you know is oppressive into the unknown of God's direction and provision where you don't see where the food's going to come from, where the water's going to come from. But you know the character of your heavenly Father, that he is true. And if he calls you, he will provide. Respond to that call. With that, we would conclude this morning's message.